0: Welcome to Cyberside Chats from Epic, a global legal services provider. Hosted by Jarek Beeson, Chief Information Security Officer at Epic, Cyberside Chats is where professionals come to hear CISO and industry leader insights on the latest news and trends for cybersecurity and privacy in the legal industry.
1: Welcome to Epic Cyberside Chat, where we are excited to develop content for and by the legal industry and the privacy and cyber insurance industries as well. Now, there are a lot of cybersecurity content in media, but we believe there's a gap when it comes to the legal industry in specific. So we're seeking to address that with our new show. My name is Jerick Beeson, and I'm a senior vice president and the chief information security officer over at Epic, and I will be your host. This is episode two, so clearly we are seasoned podcasters by now. All jokes aside, we have a great show for you guys today, and we're going to talk about information governance in the digital era. We're also going to talk about diversity in legal and cyber. We're recording this in March, which is National Women's Month, and we have the perfect guest for the show. Our guest is Whitney McCollum. Whitney McCollum is the Chief IP and Data Protection Council at AECOM, a global premier infrastructure consulting firm. Whitney is responsible for AECOM's Global Privacy Compliance Program, and she works with AECOM's cybersecurity, IT, health and safety, HR, and business teams worldwide on data protection measures. As AECOM's intel- Intellectual Property Council, Whitney works with AECOM's most innovative team strategically to protect AECOM's technologies and ideas globally. Whitney is an alum of the IP litigation teams at Morrison Forrester and O'Melveny and Myers. She is a CIPP US and CIPP E certified and a member of the US Patent Bar. A Bay Area native for nearly 40 years, Whitney recently relocated to Seattle, Washington to get her feel of rainy days. Well, Whitney, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Jarek. It's great to be here.
1: So Whitney, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do that I didn't already say.
0: All right. Well, so I'm a scientist turned intellectual property lawyer that added privacy onto my list at about 2016, which which was a great time to dive into the privacy landscape. I went to college and studied genetics thinking I would cure cancer had the opportunity to work in a few labs that were doing fantastic things, but realized I missed the people aspect. My two things that drive me are people and technology. And when I can combine them together, I'm very happy. A great career counselor suggested law school for me. My response was, I don't know anything about history or political science. And I'm a scientist. This doesn't make sense. And thanks to her guidance, she said, you know what? Take a sample law class. I think scientists need to be in the law more so that we can have that different thinking. I took a law class and I loved the fact that there are rules that we need to follow and kind of like science, if you follow the rules, then you know a result should happen. I think we all know Um, that's not always the case, but the optimist in me likes to think that we can get there. So I went to law school and discovered science plus law equals intellectual property. And that's really when I got to combine my, my, my passions and then went into litigation. So I got that a lot of people interaction. I moved in house and learned that kind of my love for learning things and my inability to stay focused on one topic for too long was a great asset. As an in-house lawyer, when things are constantly changing, you need to be willing to learn new information, new laws, meet new people every single day, because you never know what will come in your inbox. And now in my current position at AECOM, I get to work with global teams. I'm responsible for the global privacy program and have been for nearly five years. So I've seen it through GDPR and we are really launching our innovation and digital technology platforms in the company. And I'm really getting to work with a lot of great teams in protecting those ideas and making sure we're doing the best things to get those products out there.
1: Wow, wow. You know, Whitney and I used to work together before I came over to Epic. And when the podcast production team decided we wanted to talk about information governance, Whitney was the first person that came to mind because I know with Acom's focus on, Digital and innovation—that that is something that she spent a lot of time trying to make sense of. <laughs> and we had
0: we had a lot of passionate conversations about it together. Yeah.
1: It, it is because information governance—it's it's hard to do, you know, and it's something that I've personally witnessed from some of the most advanced and sophisticated IT shops. I've seen them struggle with it, you know, and it's been a problem for years. And digital transformation is just exacerbating the problem and seemingly every organization is in the process of digitally transforming or they already have or they have a roadmap to to do it at some point in time and that's why information governance is really an apt topic for us to talk about today so we're going to discuss an article titled corporate governance in the digital economy the critical importance of information governance and the the link to the article is below in the show notes if you want to read it it was written in 2019 but every single point still seems to uh, ring true today. And I know you took a look at it, Whitney. I know it resonated with you a little bit. But let me ask you this question. What does information governance mean to you? Because it means something different to a lot of different people.
0: It does. Thanks, Jarek. And I think that's kind of the crux of the issue. And once you open that can of worms of information governance, the conversation automatically goes and five to six to 10 different directions, depending on who's involved, and it quickly spirals out of control um, based on different groups' priorities. But at the heart of it, it's knowing what information you have, where it is, and the value of that information. And the reason you want to know all that information is so then you can set the rules that go around the information so that you can use everything easily and so you can get rid of what you don't want. And most importantly, at least from my perspective and probably from your perspective is you wanna protect that really important information. Kind of breaking it down into something that might be a little more simple than ones and zeros in the cloud and on-prem and off-prem and AWS versus Azure and digital versus paper, is kind of thinking about information as what is valuable to you as a company. And so information and data, and there's debates about information and data meaning the same and different things. But for our intents and purposes, we're going to say information is data, it's paper, it's emails, anything that comes in the door of a company. Can you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And you, know, you hear phrases out there like information is an asset or data is the new gold. Mm-hmm. Right? If I were to sum up the mission of information governance for me, it would be to maximize and extract the value of data while managing the risk of storing it. Right? Ultimately, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And that could be, you know, the processes, frameworks, technologies and so forth. But assuming you agree with that, what about data accessibility? I didn't hear you talk about that. It seems like that would be an important component to the mission.
0: Yeah, and I absolutely agree with that definition. And data accessibility is in Readily important because day to day you need inform you need that data, you need information. You need to know though what that information is that your employees and your teams need access to, so you can make sure you're prioritizing your protections and your controls to allow for that access, but then to keep that information that's so important people need access to it, keep it protected so the wrong people don't get access to it. And I think you and I have talked about a number of times we can build an amazing fortress around all the data. It's gonna cost a ton of money. <laughs> and then all the people that need to get in, they're gonna be knocking on the doors, the drawbridge is gonna be going down. Um, you want them to be able to go in and out and get what they need. And so, you know, the more you think about it and the more you categorize it, the more complicated it feels. But going back to the basics, I think it really helps center the teams that need to decide what to do about the information.
1: So you talked about, you know, accessing the data, and that definitely brings in some components of security, maybe even privacy. You know, on our last podcast, we talked about privacy and how legal seems to be the one holding up the mantle and taking up the mantle for privacy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I see the same thing with information governance. Even though the benefits are clearly organization-wide, i want your opinion on this in I reckon it's because regulatory, e-discovery, privacy implications, they all center around information governance, but it seems like a very narrow perspective, given that information governance can benefit sales, it can benefit operations, it can benefit profitability. Why is legal the one holding the bag?
0: That's a great question. And I agree with you. The reason legal is the one holding the bag in those instances is because There's laws about information. And so companies will see it as a compliance measure. And that's short-sighted. Yes, it is definitely a compliance obligation. With the privacy laws, if DFARS applies to your data, if export compliance applies to your data, then absolutely you have to take into account all of those compliance laws and building your information governance. But if you are only doing legal compliance, then you're missing out on The use of your data. You're also missing maybe some of the cybersecurity pieces because the laws are not, they're not prescriptive on what the cybersecurity says. It says, take reasonable security measures. Well, then that's when I go to you, my CISO, you know, and say, what are those reasonable security measures? And legal and cyber, they really have to partner together to make the right protections for the data. But then that's not all to your point of sales. Well, they want to They want to get their data quickly, but then that's when the lawyers come in and say, you can't collect all the data you're trying to collect. So we focus them. We say, you know, here's what the law say. What's your business purpose? What are you doing with the data? How long are you holding it? But it's really important for everyone to work together. And so as the lawyer, I need to understand what's our business purpose? What are our priorities and what's our risk tolerance? And then I come in and I say, here's what the laws say and what they require, here's what we can and cannot do. And so to accomplish your business purpose, you can still do X, Y, and Z, but you absolutely cannot do, you know, something else. For example, in sales, please don't collect the names of people's children and the schools they go to would be one example, because you want to send them a birthday card for their child. And so things like that are how we work together to think about the the use of information properly.
1: Coming from a legal perspective, I'm sure you're thinking about processes, you're thinking about frameworks, you're thinking about helping people make better decisions. If you talk to a geek like myself, we're thinking about the technology and how the technology can actually drive that. Where do you start? Do you start with requirements? Do you start with establishing some processes and from there building requirements? Is there a technology that you need to make this happen no matter what you do? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. I love that question because so many third party companies are coming up now promising that they are going to be the solution to your problem. And I've met with a number of them thinking, Oh, you're my unicorn. You're going to fix this for me. But the reality is there's a lot of work you have to do before you can bring in that system or that tool or that person. And so where do you start? You need to know what information is important. And so that's your priority information. And so you hear the term data mapping and people cringe at data mapping because data mapping means find out everything you have and where it is. That will take you, you, you'll never stop doing that. You need to start with finding out what data matters to your company and then where it is and how you protect it. And then from there, you can kind of flow down. But think about You know, what's valuable to you as a person? Do you know right now where your driver's license is? I'm assuming it's in your wallet.
1: I I think so. I hope so. Yes, (laughs) I do. I do know where my driver's license is.
0: And your passport and your children and, you know, any diamonds that you or your wife have. From me thinking, what are the things in my life that are kind of my valuables? And then I think, do I know where they are? And then how do I keep those things safe? That's kind of where you would start personally. And as a company, it's, it's similar. What is important to us as a company for a sales organization, the value is your contacts. But in that analysis, you can't leave out the risk, which is the compliance. And so, for example, when GDPR GDPR came onto the scene, suddenly personal data of, European persons was very important to companies because of the huge fines that companies could get. So suddenly Europe made personal data valuable because of the punishment. It's not necessarily valuable to companies if they're not processing the personal data. It is valuable because of the risk. And so that's where that compliance piece comes in and helping assign value outside what the business function is.
1: Oh, my gosh, that is that is such a a wonderful analogy. And if I kind of were to add on to that, I want to make sure that my driver's license is protected. So I put it in my wallet and I keep my wallet on me. I don't go outside and bury it in the dirt because then when I need to access it, it's going to be a lot harder to access. Right. I love that approach. And you also talked about what I think more cybersecurity people should talk about is in many ways we are about cost avoidance. Right, so maybe we aren't generating revenue, but you talked about the value of data because GDPR made that data valuable. You are avoiding some pretty gnarly ramifications down the line if you don't value that data. I, lo- I love it.
0: There is value in not getting sued and not being on the page of a newspaper.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So the way our show goes in the format of our show is we talk about one topic that I wanted to talk about. And we did. I know there's a topic you wanted to talk about. What is it?
0: Well, I do, I do recall that we did talk briefly about how information governance changed a little bit in light of coronavirus. And so wanted to touch on that a little bit, because it's something that I I think many of us have been thrust into in this age. And so wanted to point out something that many of us have had to learn either painfully or not so painfully, that suddenly overnight we are gathering data from employees and from third parties that we never would have gathered prior to March of 2020. And I think that it's important to recognize now, if you haven't already recognized that there definitely needs to be governance around that data. We're taking temperatures, we're screening people, we've had to do contact tracing. There's been a lot of privacy issues that have come up along the way. I think a lot of lawyers feel like it's a law school exam every single day or at least it was for three months. In that process, we're gathering a lot of information and it's very important to ensure that it's kept secure, it's limited access and that it's managed at the end of this pandemic or through the whole process. And I think (laughs) starting in March, a lot of people's information governance systems were put to the test or had to be built kind of as the pandemic was flying along and going through the COVID process at a company where I think maybe we weren't sure how strong our our internal systems were, seeing that an action has given me more confidence that information governance and connections between groups is necessary and really pays off in times of crisis.
1: Absolutely. We we thrust HIPAA data upon an organization that wasn't necessarily expecting or planning to receive HIPAA data, as well as GDPR data, because a lot of it is identifiable. You know, you talked about, you know, what are we going to do with that data when it's no longer needed? And that talks to some of the things around data lifecycle management, which is one component of information governance. And I talked earlier about managing the risk of storing data that also looks at the retention of that data and making some decisions around what data you retain, how much of it you retain. Can you just keep the metadata? Have you heard or do you know anything around expectations or requirements from any governing bodies around keeping this data, given that contact tracing and and so forth are topics? How far back do they really care that you keep that data? Have they any guidance there?
0: Yeah, so OSHA, different state OSHA entities have started to release different requirements for holding data for health and safety considerations. And so now that we are a year, a little more than a year into this, we're seeing some occupational safety and health administration actions, and they want to go back and look at COVID protocols that were in place. And so we're starting to see document retention requirements for certain things that That need to be in place. And at the same time, we're also under the lens of not keeping any personal medical data that we don't need. And so needing to stay on top of those regulations and the practices and practices of third parties who are collecting our employees data is incredibly important. Right now, we are still in the quote pandemic state where, you know, kind of requirements about holding data are a little more relaxed. And this is the perfect time to get up to speed on those regulations that affect you as a company, because we have a little more wiggle room and you can use that wiggle room to build the program because once we're no longer in a pandemic state, the expectations are going to be that you're compliant from then on. And you're not going to have as much wiggle room to do the work to become compliant. And so now's really the time to, to think about that and get things place. But I did want to ask you, so with information governance and during this time where we've all been working from home and the cybersecurity world has changed, it seems drastically from all of the different breaches and connections that have been made to, you know, pretty significant vendors. Um, I'm wondering if you expect that there's going to be significant legal changes in the cybersecurity world with expectations on companies to be a little more consistent with their cyber practices?
1: You know, that's an interesting question in that I don't expect regulation to be able to keep up with what's happening because regulation is usually three to four, maybe five years behind the threat that they're trying to protect against. But I do know that most organizations that survived did so with the cloud. And the cloud has allowed for a few different things. Number one, it's made it easier for us to give access to data, but it's also given us the ability to centralize some of our data in ways that we haven't in the past. And with that, A, I know more about it and I can wrap my arms around it, but B, it makes it a much juicier target for an attacker because they don't have to bounce from system to system to capture the data. So I do anticipate more guidance, more requirements around cloud providers, as well as how the various customers and clients are consuming those cloud providers and maybe even so protecting themselves from their cloud providers so you talked about accessibility we do have to make sure that that data is accessible but what do you do when that cloud provider has a bad day because every company is going to have a bad day and you know we saw from the events of december and more so recently in some other law firms and other organizations they're falling to the risks of their supply chain. I think that all of the things that have occurred are going to result in more focus on the supply chain. And it's not going to be enough to manage your supply chain. It's going to have to also include mitigating the risk of your supply chain actually being compromised. To Today, we spend a lot of time assessing our supply chain, sending questionnaires of how their security is going. But it only takes one person to click on an email within that within that organization for them to be compromised and then you be compromised. So so what are you doing to make sure that their compromise doesn't result in your compromise more so than the risk avoidance of just not doing business with somebody because they had a cyber issue? That's what I'm seeing.
0: I think that you might have found the next topic for your show. Vendor, <laughs> the vendor management is, it's always been a thing, but now it's, you're right, we're all turning to our vendors so much more and expecting different things. and it would be great if we could all agree on kind of standard processes and assessments so it's not kind of a pile of paperwork that we're all trying to manage together because at the end we all want the same thing you know no vendor wants to be compromised either
1: so if you don't mind we were going to talk about diversity given that it's national women's month and you're a woman and you've experienced some things in legal as a woman and maybe we'll have time for that but i am curious given that you review contract after contract do you have comfort after you review a contract that you're doing business with someone that is going to adequately protect you or do you feel like on March X, I have confidence, but I have no idea what's going to happen on June
0: X. It depends. So the contract always tell our business teams this, I say the contract will hopefully get you the money back after you lose it. That's the purpose of the contract. And As we do vendor assessments, it can potentially be the vehicle to do the audits and the vendor check ins that we're going to need to do, but it is it is not real life protection. Now, sometimes in the contract negotiation process. You understand more about the vendor and you can kind of see their sophistication through that process of negotiating terms, but it absolutely has to be coupled with, we do privacy impact assessments on all of our vendors, regardless of whether it's required under the law of where we're processing data. And we partner very closely with security who does their security assessments. But at the end of the day, you're right tomorrow, things could change with that vendor. And trying to keep track of that a lot of times is about a trust relationship. And so building trusting relationships with vendors and developing those practices where it feels more like a partnership, I think would go a long way to give a company comfort. And you have that working relationship. So, you know, that they're more likely to pick up the phone if they're having an issue or they're going to think of you when something's compromised. Because like you said, everyone's going to have a bad day and you want to be a priority when your vendors have a bad day.
1: Yeah, that's that's well put. I, I just pinned a blog on using, you know, a tool named Site specifically to manage the supply chain. But personally here at Epic, I am keenly focused on building trust with our clients, with our partners, with our supply chain, but not just building trust, giving reasons to trust. And, and I think the only way to do that and to maintain it is through levels of transparency that don't exist yet. Maybe there's a startup out there that's going to figure that out, but I'm excited to see where the space goes. And you started this conversation, didn't plan on having it, but I think you're right. This will be a future topic that we that we discussing in greater detail because there's a security component to it, there's a legal component to it, but there's just an overall business component as well to it. Organizations are seeing dramatic ramifications as a result of things that are seemingly out of their control.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's really interesting. And now you've got my wheels spinning and you're right, we didn't plan to talk about this, <laughs> but that level of transparency you're right. I do think that's the key. And thinking about how that would actually function, it's exciting. And I think if companies embrace certain levels of transparency as positive, then we'll start to see more doors opening.
1: I personally, whenever asked, whenever the opportunity comes, I cop on the phone with my clients and I tell them, here are the bad things that have happened to us. Here's how we've you know, changed. Here's how we've matured as a result of it. And if there's anything that we can do so that you don't have to have the bad day that we had, we are more than open and more than willing to do that. Just as a, as a digital citizen, we should be that way, but definitely with our partners more so than anything.
0: Absolutely, and there's something to say about working with a company that's been breached before because we know what happens after a breach. It's all hands on deck, and everyone's paying attention. And you want to do the right thing so it doesn't happen again. You get the systems, you spend the money, you take the time, leading with that conversation, especially now that it's so common. And not seeing the the breach as you're a, a bad company, but you were the victim of a, a cyber attack, and sometimes you were still doing all the right things. And and what can we learn from that? Because the hackers are, they're they're changing things very, very rapidly. And we're sharing information. We can change just as rapidly.
1: I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, well, Whitney, I think we are at our time, but uh, I do want to ask you one question. Uh, I usually try to ask one question regarding, you know, the field that that the guest is in. I'm going to switch it up just a little bit. What would you say to a woman that wants to get in the legal industry, wants to get into the intersection between legal and cyber that you find yourself in? What would you say to them and what type of words of encouragement or what suggestions would you make to them?
0: I would say get on board. I'd say feel free to, you know, connect with me, reach out to other women and men in the industry, find out their backgrounds and their passions and what drives them because I'm finding in privacy and cyber, especially we all have come from different backgrounds in school and in life, and we are bringing different things to the table. But at the end of the day, we are all really excited about how information is flying around the world and what we can do about that. And the common thread I see with everyone is just passion and energy and a willingness to learn. because. I mean, the laws are changing constantly. So you have to have a willingness to learn and humbleness. There's no room for egos here because European commission is going to knock down your privacy shield and you got to figure it out. And so come on board. And it's a very, I think, diverse community because it's pretty emerging. And so there's no history of looking up at the table and saying, well, that that person doesn't look like me. You're looking around saying, "We." We need more, come on board. We need more, please join us.
1: Here you have it, everybody. Come on board. Thank you, Whitney. Definitely appreciate you taking the time, sharing your insights and your experiences. Uh, I'm sure that our, our listeners will definitely benefit from it.
0: Thank you, Jack, for having me. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or ideas from today's show, share them with us by emailing cyberside at epicglobal.com. Don't forget to follow us on socials You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for Epic Global. Until next time, stay cyber smart.